Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about issues of the day from a biblical perspective, as well as highlights from interviews, conferences, and events. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. During an online event hosted by the Illinois Prayer Caucus Network, Christian leaders met on January 16th to pray and observe National Religious Freedom Day. Former U.S. Representative Randy Forbes discussed strategies to protect and promote religious freedom. The one-time lawmaker from Virginia is the president and co-founder of the Congressional Prayer Caucus Foundation and the National Strategic Center. I wanted to begin by just lifting up this book. You know, this is pretty much a stereotypical Bible. It's black. It's got gold lettering on uh, the front of it uh, and on the sides of it. That book comes in all different sizes and shapes. Here's a number of them right here that you've probably seen over the years, and they come in different colors, and they come in different uh, translations. And yet, while all of them may have differences, there is one thread that links through all of them, and it's simply this. These books, this thing we call the Bible, is the most read book in all the world. It's the most read book throughout history. It sells more copies than any other book in the world, and the second, third, fourth places are not even close. It has sold more copies throughout the world. If you walk into any library in America or any place in the world, this book was the first printed book in history. If you look also, it is the most quoted book in history. If you look, it is the foundation of the government of the most powerful country in the world. And yet you see the enormous efforts to ban this book and keep it out of schools where our children are learning how to think and how to formulate the rest of their lives. And we see an effort to keep it out and certainly an effort not to teach it. In addition to that prayer, has been so fundamental in our country. I think about when the pilgrims came here to form uh, Jamestown, just a few miles from where I am right now. They, the first act they did was to get down and pray. When you look, there were governors, there were executive authorities throughout all of our history that asked for prayer proclamations. We all know that the catalyst for the first Continental Congress in the United States actually came from a prayer proclamation written by Thomas Jefferson and Patrick Henry uh, in Williamsburg, not far from where we are uh, now as well. And then the first Continental Congress began with prayer. Congress opens every day in prayer. The greatest battle of all times for freedom of, of the world was in Normandy, and FDR led the country in a prayer for six minutes. And yet we banned prayer from our schools. We try to make sure that if people even engage in prayer, they are losing their jobs and we are firing them. And in addition to that, if you go back and you look at our programs and our entertainment in the 1940s, the 1950s, the 1960s, it was filled with references of faith. Now look at those same programs and see how they have been censored so that you have very little faith comment there. And the reason is because there is an attempt to take faith out of the marketplace of ideas. Now, as if those things weren't enough, that's what really uh, motivated us 15 years ago to form the Congressional Prayer Caucus. But if we look at over the last 15 years, the lethality of the attacks on faith 
has grown enormously. Today, we see groups being banned if they're Christian groups from college campuses. We see an Air Force cadet who dared to simply write a Bible verse on the whiteboard outside of his dorm, and the United States Air Force wrote in a report that that was against the principles of the United States Air Force. We see a principal and an athletic director in Florida hauled into federal court, threatened to lose their retirement, to have to pay a penalty, and to go to jail because they engaged in a 16-second prayer off school property with no students involved in a booster club. We see Coach Kennedy, as you guys have seen for the last five or six years, wrestle because he dared to make the huge sin of praying for the safety of his football players and the players on the other team. We are now seeing them threatening licensing of individuals so they can't practice their vocation. So we see them attacking individuals, but they're also attacking churches. Just imagine what we've seen over the last few months when the government now can tell churches not just when they can meet, but if they can meet, and how many people can be in there, and how long those people can stay in there, and even whether or not they can sing. And they realize the control they have on churches if they can control the tax status of that church or the tax of people coming in there. We see them now for the first time in just the last year or so going after small businesses in ways we've never seen before because they're now through social media controlling who those businesses can talk to, also how they can destroy their customer base, and even whether or not they can get payments for the products they're selling. So their goal is moved from just taking faith out of the marketplace of ideas to taking faith out of the marketplace, period. The good news, though, is that greater and greater numbers of Americans are joining in that fight for faith. And more and more elected officials are not just kneeling to pray, which is important, but then they're standing up to fight to keep faith in America. There are a lot of officials around today who wear a little pen like this one that I have on today. It's a real simple pen, and it just simply says one thing. It says, I stand for faith. I can tell you I've worn congressional pen after congressional pen after congressional pen for 16 different years, but I have never had one pen that I get more questions about than this pen. When you just simply walk in a restaurant or walk somewhere else and somebody says, what does that pen stand for? And you just tell them, it means I stand for faith. All of a sudden, the questions come and the doors open for us because more and more Americans are realizing the importance of faith around the country. Fifteen years ago, we started the Congressional Prayer Caucus, and we focus on excellence. But let me tell you four of the things we've learned over those 15 years. The first one is we have to begin with prayer. Everybody on this call is committed to that. You're devoted to that. We realize the importance of that. It is something that we do without ceasing. It's something we need to do. It's important. And the one great thing that elected officials have as a power is to convene, and they can bring people together in prayer events all over the country. One of the things that we have done is we have a whole division called Pray USA, where we have events where elected officials go into churches, and they don't talk Republican or Democrat or particular issue. What they do is show videos about the importance of praying, and then we ask the people in those churches to sign a call to prayer for America. So we're uniting and coming together. In just one day, we had over 1,200 governors, lieutenant governors, attorney generals, legislators across America, all going to steps of capitals and places and saying it's important for this country that we pray. But the other thing is, after we pray, it's important we stand up and we do something that I will tell you is an anathema for most Christians, most conservatives, and that is we think strategically. You know, as I look across 
America, one of the things the anti-faith do people do so much better than us in the, is they're very strategic. And that's why we formed this center. It's a national strategic center where I'm coming uh, to you. And what we do here is try to spend every single day with the best strategists around America looking at what the anti-faith people are doing. So oftentimes I see people saying, let's have a meeting and, you know, in four hours we're going to find the strategy as if it's some gift that comes in a bag with Santa Claus. It's going to be at the bottom. We're going to pull it out. You build strategies. And if I'm looking to build a swing set in my backyard, I really don't need complicated plans to do that. I can probably work my way through it. If I want to build a house, it's a little bit more difficult without those plans and strategies. But I can tell you, you cannot build a skyscraper without those strategies and those blueprints and those plans. And yet that's what we try to do today when we're fighting the fight for faith so often is we don't really look strategically at what we need to do. And that's what I hope we will see in Illinois. And I hope we'll see in other states across the country as we begin to look strategically. The third thing is we have got to build networks. We have got to find ways to come together so that we can implement those strategies. The anti-faith people are incredibly good at that. And one of the things we're constantly looking at is how do we bring more and more groups, more and more people together so that we can stand together. We're excited because in just the Congressional Prayer Caucus, now I want you to be encouraged. You sometimes look on the TV and you sometimes think there's nobody out there. I'll tell you, we've got the largest network of federal and state uh, elected officials together now in the country, 41 different states have legislative prayer cards, which is to come together and say, how do we strategically protect and defend faith for America? And I want to just close with the last thing that we've learned. And the last thing we've learned is this. Oftentimes, I hear people saying we need to persevere. And that is true. I mean, so if I were to, to suggest any four points today, I would say we need to pray. Then we need to get up to be strategic. And then we need to build the networks to implement it, and we need to persevere. But persevering is not enough. We were having a meeting once in the center looking at strategies for defending faith. And, you know, it was a little frustrating day as we looked at all the forces we were tackling. And as I walked out, I had a very dear friend of mine who said, you know, just remember during the Revolutionary War, only about 29% of the people in the colonists wanted freedom. About 25% of them actually fought for Great Britain, and 50% of them were apathetic. But there were only about 9 to 12% that did anything at all, either fought in the war, either wrote a check, did anything. I remember going home that night, staying up all night, researching stuff around the, the globe and historically, and all of a sudden we realized 12% of the people in any organization, any country, any place in the world, if they are committed and have the right strategies and work together, they can transform that country and that organization. All we need is 12% of the people who are willing to do that, and we can change America. I want to make sure that I'm one of those 12%. I know you do too. Thank you so much for all you're doing, and God bless you for just letting me be a part of former U.S. Representative Randy Forbes with the Congressional Prayer Caucus Foundation and the National Strategic Center. He spoke during a January 16th online observance of National Religious Freedom Day, hosted by the Illinois Prayer Caucus Network. Now, after a timeout, we'll feature remarks made by former State Representative Peter Breen during that online event. Americans have been traveling down the health insurance highway for decades. But lately, 
it's been taking us to places we don't want to go. For Christians, it's hard to know which road to take. Or is it? Samaritan Ministries provides a different direction, a biblical path for their members to pray for each other and share financially in each other's medical needs. This idea that Samaritan has adopted from the book of Acts should permeate all parts of our lives, not just health sharing. We, as a body of believers, are living out New Testament Christianity. This is what God intended for the church. Do you believe that you need an insurance company or do you believe that God will provide your needs? And there are people that you've never met before who are gonna pray for you and meet your needs. There's another way. Looking for a new direction for your health care? Visit us online at SamaritanMinistries.org. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. During this segment, we're continuing to highlight the January 16th online observance of National Religious Freedom Day, hosted by the Illinois Prayer Caucus Network. Former State Representative Peter Breen, the Vice President and Senior Counsel for the Chicago-based Thomas More Society, outlined the need for positive action and prayer for our state and nation. You know, it's 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 constantly campaign season, things like that. You know, and I was uh, yeah, I, I was unsuccessful last election, but I was entering in for filing our uh, final campaign report, and I was entering in uh, uh, you know my donations. You know, looking at the various donors and things. And uh, one of the things is sometimes, you know, folks change addresses and I'm, I'm entering in and I see address change and then, you know, you get a few more, another address change, a few more address change. And these are folks that have been supporting me politically, you know, folks that you might know and over the years. And I'm looking and all the address changes were folks leaving the state. And so that it is a, of, of a time to pray, particularly in this state, uh, we need it more than ever. Uh, but it's something that uh, that really, I mean, that was my thing. I'm, I'm looking at it because I'm going, what is going on here? I think all of us who have spoken honestly uh, have asked the question, uh, is this our state going to be the place uh, where our families and our future uh, is to be found? You know, I've got two little kiddos, a two and a four-year-old. And so they're getting to that age where you're looking at it going, well, is this the place we want to be? You know, I, and and I myself, I moved here. I'm, I'm not an Illinois native. I'm a Tennessee native. My family's been in Tennessee for over 200 years. But we moved here in 1986 to a little town called Naperville, which some of you may have heard of. Mm -hmm. Still had cornfields. There was a horse farm at the end of our subdivision, and maybe they had 60,000 people, something like that. And it was uh, surrounded by wonderful people, great schools. And it was funny. Someone reminded me uh, the other day that uh, our grade school, Mill Street Elementary School, had 10 rules to live by up on the wall. They're called 10 Rules to Live By. You might know them as the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. They were actually up on the wall. I am sure they're not up on the wall today, mm -hmm. but they were back then in Naperville in 1986. So th that's that's the setting I'm, I'm coming into. But now, obviously, everyone's worried about the national, uh, the national uh, setting. I did start with Thomas More Society in 2008. So that was the waning days of the George W. Bush administration. And some wonderful things were done then. Uh, we had some incredible uh, regulations with HHS protecting religious freedom, uh, very pro-life and all of that. But a lot of it came in the waning days. And so when uh, President Trump was inaugurated, you know, those, those same, there were some of the same people from the W. Bush time came in and started off with those regulations. So they were able, we were able to advance the ball a little faster uh, than we would have otherwise. Problem is, we're now in the reverse situation. 
So things that Obama did at the end, Biden is going to do at the beginning. And I remember you know, I, I had started at Thomas More uh, right at the beginning of 08. Uh, Obama took office in 09. And it, uh, it opened the floodgates of litigation on pro-life, religious liberty, and otherwise. We were getting our clients, uh, they were trying to get our pro-life sidewalk counselors outside of the abortion clinics. Those are the folks that go and talk to them, uh, talk to folks that are going in. There were sting operations by the federal government in cooperation with Planned Parenthood and other abortion facilities to try to trap folks on our side into something called, it was a face law. It's the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Law. And so we had a lot of litigation across the country, our firm, other firms. You know, fortunately we won one of the big cases. Uh, we had to win a bunch of cases uh, in order to get the federal government to back off. Um, they finally did. But had we not won some of those early seminal cases, uh, I, I did one in Denver, uh, you know, so it was me fresh with the Thomas More Society and there were five Department of Justice lawyers on the other side. We were able to get it done. But, you know, nowadays I, I, I very much fear that had we not been able to be successful in those cases, uh, we might have had some real issues going forward. I see the Obama administration carrying forward that spirit, carrying forward into the Biden administration. You know, there was another thing too, I do want to make sure um, it wasn't just uh, the Obama administration that came down on us. It was every petty bureaucrat at every level, all the way down to local levels. And you're sitting there going, why are you so emboldened now? It was because they felt they had a friend in the federal government that was going back. So I want to give you that as a setting, not, not to depress you, but to kind of give you, steal you for the challenges that are to come. Because one of the, the critical things I think we are going to have going forward is a lot of new people coming to our cause and, and, and a lot of folks in our friends, in our circles of influence and otherwise, who are, based on what's been happening, they're going to have a tendency to despair. They're going to have a, a pull to hopelessness. Mm -hmm. uh, they are going to feel that their voice is not being heard. We've seen this recently. And really, the, the primary answer to that is going to be prayer. And obviously, as you know, as political actors and lawyers and everybody else, you know, we want to always talk about, you know, put, put some boots on those prayers and get out there and do something. But I, I find that we say that and then we forget about the actual prayers and we forget about that religious faith and we forget about cultivating the, the life of the spirit, uh, both in ourselves and in our families. And, and it's maybe I'm as much talking to myself as I am to folks on the call. Uh, because it, it's been very difficult during this pandemic and otherwise to maintain that, you know, the, the spiritual call and, and the, uh, the spirit of the Lord. A couple of things to specifically be looking out for from your government. Uh, the latest, this is something they, again, they, they had tried this back at early Obama administration. We were able to stop that. But they've been uh, expanding this narrative, which is that folks on our side are domestic terrorists, in particular pro-life people because they will say things like abortion is killing or that abortion is violence or things like that. And so what I've, and, and you've heard, you know, they want to do a domestic terrorism law. Obviously we're against violence. That's the whole point of being pro-life, of being a Christian, what have you, but they'll take our speech and say, no, 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 that's violent speech. And so you will start seeing, you know, speech codes and, and restrictions, and that'll be an excuse to launch investigations and what have you. So all of a sudden, even if, even if you're never found guilty of anything, even if they never bring a lawsuit against you, all of a sudden people are going to be you know, tracking your emails and talking to your neighbors and what have you. Now, I'm not saying anybody on this call. I'm just saying that is what uh, there's a great fear that I have from my clients who are in the pro-life movement, religious liberty movement, 
that is what we're going to be dealing with. And then you've got the, the kind of the companion side, the private sector speech codes, as things like Parler got shut down for not being large enough and fast enough to get rid of all of the, uh, uh, you know, the content that violates their terms, you know, violent content, all of that. You know, Twitter and these other big, big entities were able to moderate that faster. Parler wasn't. And so we've got some real issues uh, that I have to tell you as a lawyer in this space. Uh, I said, where is the lawyer group that is ready to go to war on some of the private sector speech restrictions? And not war, I, I shouldn't use the military imagery, I'm sorry, it's, it's, uh, but you know, figurative, not literal, obviously. And uh, I'll tell you, you know, as a good conservative Republican, I'm not for big government, uh, even though I am a lawyer, uh, I realize that Republicans hate lawyers. Uh, and so this is always a joke I would make when I was in the caucus. I'm sitting there going, you know, you guys, all Republicans hate lawyers, except they need a few. And so we, we have an issue there uh, that we are going to have to get our arms around. And the, the legislators, the thinkers in the movement are going to have to ask the question, what, uh, you know, where, what is the Republican position on regulating large corporations? Uh, what is our position on offensive litigation or defensive litigation, as it were, but in the private sector, not just the public one? And that's something I don't have an answer for you. I've got some thoughts, but I don't have an answer for you. So there are some big challenges coming up. The fact that this is the prayer caucus, all of these challenges are going to be, uh, the response to them is all going to be rooted in prayer, uh, even, more, uh, even more than it has been previously. And, and I know for many of us, you know, the pandemic has so totally changed our lives. I mean, I'm in my basement. You can see the exercise bike over there. I've, I've, if you could see a slightly wider view, you'd be, you'd be uh, aghast at the children's toys strewn all over this basement floor. And um, this has caused us some, some real issues. I don't know about you. Uh, my faith has been tested. Uh, in some ways, it's stronger. In other ways, I'm realizing it's weaker. And uh, I think a lot of our colleagues and friends and others are going to need our support and our prayers. They're going to need our prayers directly, but they're going to need our guidance and invitation back to prayer. And, and I would say, too, as we go into these fights beyond, you know, we at Thomas More Society, obviously, we're named after a Catholic saint. But my best clients have been evangelical pastors. We've been you know, getting the churches open, you know, and, and I can talk about that a little bit. Uh, we've got uh, rabbis, uh, Orthodox rabbis that we have partnered with, and, and I know other organizations have had uh, imams, you know, that have, that have come in. So I know as, as you know, the Illinois Prayer Caucus is a bit more Christian in its nature, but people who profess faith in whatever that type of faith may be, you know, the traditional faiths, really, uh, we may see more outreach and maybe more call for common prayer with them. I don't know, um, but I think there are some interesting opportunities coming up. Uh, and some places where you're going to have some folks that are looking, they're going to be searching more for faith and for prayer than they had been previously. And, and I do want to just say very quickly, in Illinois, we won because we pushed back and we pushed back with great vigor. Uh, we filed lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. And finally, the governor uh, receded, which was politically the very smart thing for him to do. And you've noticed now, you know, he's taking heat for you know whether things are closed or open or what have you. But he has entirely retreated from the field of the church regulation. And I have to tell you, just if he had held on to that, if he had kept that that small minded way of regulating our religious faith, I mean, he would have a ton of trouble more than he's got right now. And he's got enough trouble right now caused by some of the people who are on this call. Um, uh, so uh, but uh, but either way, so that that's uh, that's my message. It's, it's hopeful. But boy, I, I don't want to sugarcoat it for you. We've got a lot a lot of work coming up and a lot of. Uh, 
a lot of opportunities, but a lot of challenges. So thanks so much for having me on the call. Former State Representative Peter Breen, the Senior Counsel and Vice President of the Thomas More Society. He made his comments during the January 16th online observance of National Religious Freedom Day. This event was hosted by the Illinois Prayer Caucus Network and our thanks to Delbra and Stan Pratt with the network. Please support the work of the Illinois Family Institute. All donations are tax deductible. And tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, stay safe, stay active, and God bless. For more information about Illinois Family Spotlight, visit ifiaction.org. And to email questions and comments, do so at feedback at ifiaction.org.